The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Good morning and welcome to Ambassador Baptist Church. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians chapter number 5 this morning. Ephesians chapter number 5. It's good to have each and every one of you in the house of the Lord as we have the opportunity of just worshiping together and uh, opening up the Word of God and really allowing God's Word to, to speak to our hearts. Uh, man, let me just say again what a joy it is just to be able to worship with you. I, I love uh, as we just sing praises to God, and it's such a beautiful thing uh, just to hear so many of you just lifting up your voices uh, there to the Lord, and it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to be a part of. Well, we're currently going through a series uh, entitled Identity, Who Do You Think You Are? And we're going verse by verse through the portion of the Bible referred to as Ephesians. And uh, Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul uh, to the people at Ephesus. And really, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians declares who God believes us to be, who God says we are for those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And, And really... The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us a brand new identity in Christ. And so for three chapters, the Apostle Paul is trying to remind us as believers who are in Christ who we now are because of Jesus. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6, it begins to unpack what does it look like in the life of a person who really believes who God says they are. What, is, what does that look like? And how does that flesh itself out? And, and how does that play out in our daily lives? And so that's kind of where we are right now. And so we currently find ourselves in the book of Ephesians, chapter number five. We're kind of coming to the tail end of this series. We've been in it for several months. And today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter number five. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 20 of Ephesians chapter number five. And then we'll read down here uh, through verse number 32. All right. And so we're going to do that today. If If you are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we read our text here today. Uh, There is an outline that you can follow along with in your service program. I hope it will be a help to you as we study the Word of God together this morning. Uh, In just a moment, uh, after I'm done reading, uh, Pastor Nick is going to come and deliver this message here today entitled, I Am Loved. Uh, Pastor Nick serves as our connections pastor. Uh, That is, he's the one who oversees and leads our connection group Bible studies, also works with our connection group Bible study leaders, and I'm just so thankful for his help and just all he does just to serve uh, the body of Christ here at the Ambassador Baptist Church, and I know you're thankful for him. He's no stranger. He preaches here quite often, and as he gets closer to his ordination here, we're trying to give him some more opportunities uh, just to proclaim the Word of God, and so we're excited about that and looking forward uh, to how God's going to use his Word to speak to our hearts here today. So let's begin reading in Ephesians chapter number 5. I'm going to begin here in verse number 20. I believe the screens catch up in verse 22. The Bible says in verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Verse 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. I've heard a lot of husbands say, man, that's a good passage, preacher. You need to talk on that one more often. And, and a lot of times it's, it's husbands who bring that up. I haven't had too many wives who have asked me to preach on that. However, guys, let me just say this. Before the Bible says, wives, submit yourselves to the husband, get the context of this passage. Notice verse number 21, submitting yourselves one to another, all right? And so there's context to even that passage. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of 
the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, all right? And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. Notice that phrase, as Christ loved the church. That's what we're going to zone in on a little bit today. And gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that it might be present, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence or respect her husband. Good to be with you all here this morning. As Pastor said, my name is Nick, and I get to work with all of our Connection Group Bible Study leaders here at Ambassador Baptist Church, and I just really enjoy the opportunity and the privilege really to work alongside them as these uh, Connection Group Bible Study leaders really help facilitate uh, the church in a way that we can have these small groups where we can really be transparent and grow and really do the Christian life uh, one with another. This past Thursday, we actually kicked off a brand new semester of uh, our Connection Group Bible Studies. We're doing something brand new this semester. We're going through a book study called Relationships, A Mess Worth Making. And I really believe that the truths of God's Word found in it are really going to help us learn how to relate to each other, how to relate to our marriage, and how to relate to the church, and even our friends there. So I believe it's going to be a huge opportunity. Um, If you weren't, I'll say this, if you weren't able to make it Thursday, we will have a chance for you at the end of the message uh, to sign up. You can still be involved in that if you like. So if you weren't able to make it this Thursday, let me encourage you to do that at the end of the message, and I believe that'll be a help together. I do want to say before I get started, as we study the Word of God together this morning, um, when I found out I had Ephesians chapter 5 and I had the verses that primarily deal with marriage, I got a little bit intimidated because I've only been married for a couple years, and so I feel like I'm still learning and growing so much of the truths that we're going to look at and study together this morning. And so please don't take this as I've arrived at it because I'll be the first one to tell you I haven't. Um, Actually, my wife would probably tell you even sooner. Um, that I definitely haven't arrived at this. Um, but really, my heartbeat is just to kind of share with you the journey that God's brought us on and is still bringing us on, and so that we could all learn and grow together. Have you ever felt like your relationships or maybe your marriage was just a mess? I can remember uh, before I got married, when I was still single and I was a bachelor living on my own, uh, just about everything in my life was probably, you could say, was a mess. I can remember... There was this cycle that my clothes would go on. I would wash them, I would dry them, and then I would take them and I would just stick them on the chair in my room. And that is where they would stay until I needed to wear it. And then I would wear it, and then from there it would just go straight to the floor. That was it. That was the cycle. If you walked into my room, it would look like a dryer threw up on it. I mean, clothes are everywhere. And then once they were done, the cycle would just start over. I would wash it, dry it, and then I would, you know, put it on my chair, I'd wear it, and then I'd just throw it right on the floor. My life was pretty messy (laughs) if you just were to walk in and look at it. When, after I got married, I realized that I was actually missing some steps. Um, there's a step called folding your clothes. There's a step called putting your clothes away. There's this neat thing in your closet. It's called drawers. You put your clothes in it. I had no idea what that was, but my wife has graciously helped me along with that. But have you ever felt like that was kind of like your marriage or relationship that you're in? Just a mess. 
you didn't really, you were missing some steps. You're like, there's got to be something else here. I feel like I'm missing something. What's going on? What do you do? What do you do when you feel like you're in a relationship and it feels like it's a mess? Maybe, maybe it's not your marriage. Maybe, maybe you're here and you're not married. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking of a really good friend. And you guys used to be really close. But something happened and the relationship slowly grew distant. The friendship slowly grew cold. And over time, before you knew it, it's like, I don't even know the person anymore. It's like a totally different person. Maybe you got into the relationship feeling like, I really knew this guy. I really knew this person. But as you got to know each other a little bit, you realized... He's not the person or she's not the person I thought they were. Maybe some of you ladies, when you got married, you thought you were marrying Prince Charming and you found out you married the Beast. Anybody here? Don't raise your hands. Some of us guys maybe thought we were married. I'm just kidding. Um, I'm going to get in trouble for that one. But anyway, how many, of you, how many of you, honestly, if you were to be honest and you are to look into your heart, you've been there. You're like, man, I just feel like my relationships are a mess. What do I do when my relationships are a mess? Maybe you're a parent. And you have a child, and that relationship is just not what you feel like it should be. What do you do? You think to yourself, why am I even bothering with this relationship? It's so messy. We're so different. It's so complicated. Why am I even bothering? Why am I even bothering with this relationship? The truth is, relationships at any given time can be messy, and they will get messy. The reason relationships get messy is because we still have our own sin, we're different, we have different backgrounds, different personalities. We really looked at this a little bit on Thursday night, just the differences that can cause some of those messes. But if we're going to have a proper understanding of the marriages that God wants us to have, and if we're going to have a proper understanding of our relationships, we first of all have to have the right attitude towards the mess. You see, a lot of times when we get into these messy situations, these messy relationships, our first instinct is to run, right? Like, I want to bail, I'm just out, I want to get away from this relationship. But the truth is, if our marriages and if our relationships are going to be what God wants them to be, we first of all have to really realize we have to embrace the mess. We have to embrace the mess. But before we can do that, what I'd like to do is I'd like to just go over a few misconceptions about messiness in relationships. Just kind of get some of those out of the way and look at the truth of what that mess in our relationships really means. So one misconception that we'll often have with messiness in relationships is that messiness automatically equals immaturity. Ah, oh, if I have a relationship and it's a mess, it must mean that person's really immature. This just relationship isn't, it's just an immature relationship. The truth is, messiness in relationships doesn't naturally equal immaturity. Re- messiness in relationships just means you're getting to some hard stuff. You're getting some real deep stuff in your own heart and in each other's lives. And oftentimes, what'll be the measuring stick to whether or not a relationship is mature or not is how you handle that mess. Messes in relationships, let's just be honest, they're inevitable because we still have our own sin, because everybody is still going through the process of their sanctification. We live in a broken world. Messiness is inevitable. That does not mean the relationship is immature, but how you handle it does. Another misconception that we also have is that messiness is only the other person's fault. Messiness is the only the other person's fault. The truth is, messiness reveals my weakness. Messiness in relationships has a way to reveal my weaknesses and my own sins sometimes. And when I go into a relationship, when Sarah and I are trying to grow together, we're trying to go deeper into our relationship, if there's a conflict that arises, a lot of times our knee-jerk reaction is to just be, well, if you would just fix this about you, everything would be okay. 
How many of you spouses, you've ever, you've at least had that thought? Be honest, okay? You think, man, if they would just fix this, if they would just do this differently, if they would just change this, then everything would be okay. To be honest with you, though, that's not what God is wanting to teach us. God is wanting to show us something in our hearts and in our lives that we need to grow in. I can remember one time Sarah and I were having a conversation. Conversation, you know, like one of those. And uh, it, it started off as a good conversation. We were getting into some hard stuff, really learning and growing. But somewhere along the way, pride kicked into our hearts. And as pride kicked into our hearts, it, became, it began to turn into something that we really didn't want it to. And I can remember at one point in the conversation, we were talking, and the phrase came up, man, this is why I don't like having these conversations, because we always wind up arguing. The truth is, God was wanting to use that messy relationship to show both of us something in our own hearts, to show both of us, hey, there's some pride in here that you need to grow through. There's some pride in here that God wants to address. So messiness reveals my own weakness and my own sin. And then the last misconception, and this one's a big one, I feel like. A lot of times people feel like if there's a mess in our relationship, that must mean the relationship just isn't meant to be. Sometimes we'll Christianize it and say, oh, this relationship isn't God's will. And that's why so many marriages fall apart. You have a husband and a spouse, and these conflicts do come up, and these messes do come up, and they don't ever handle it in a way that honors God or that's consistent with Scripture. And what happens is they don't want to address their own sin in their own heart, and they just feel like this relationship just must not meant to be. You know, it was great at the beginning, but now it's just, I don't think we're right for each other. The truth is, God wants to use the mess in our lives to grow me into his image. Just because there's a mess, there's a conflict, doesn't mean that the relationship's not meant to be. What it really means is that God is trying to grow us and conform us into his image. Every painful thing we experience in our relationships is meant to remind us of our need for God. Just like when you have physical pain, that's an indicator that something's wrong. Every time there's a painful thing that comes up in our relationships, that is an indicator that I need God. When I allow that pride to get in the way, when Sarah and I are having a conversation, when I allow that pride to creep up, that needs to be an indicator that, man, I need Jesus in this moment because I am not allowing him to work through me. Every painful thing we experience in our relationships is meant to remind us of our need for God. So that's what a mess, that's what the mess is, but how do we embrace the mess? Our theme is embrace the mess. How do we do that in church? How do we do that in our marriage? How do we do this in our connection groups? If we're going to have marriages that honor God, how can we, in a godly fashion, embrace the mess? Well, the Bible says in verse 25 of our text, husbands, love your wives, and get this, this is what I really want to focus in on for a few minutes, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, which leads us to our first thought this morning. If we're going to embrace the mess, we have to understand Christ loves the church. Embracing the mess in our relationships can only happen when we are totally and completely gripped by the love of God in our hearts. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. So basically John's saying, hey, get this. This is how amazing God loves you. That we should be called the sons of God. God loves us so much that he was willing to adopt us into his family. God loves us so much that he was willing to make us his children. If you're a parent here today, I want you to imagine in your mind when your first child was born. Imagine that moment when your child was first born. I can remember when uh, Sarah was pregnant with Nicholas. We were, it was exciting. The first time I got to hear the heartbeat, my heart just kind of melted. When I first saw the first ultrasound, it was just really neat. And as he grew in her, like I started to grow more and more in love with him. But there was nothing that really prepared me for the moment he was born. It was like this amazing love just exploded in my heart for him. 
Because that was my son. I saw him. I could hold him for the first time in my arms. That was my son. It was just, just incredible, overwhelming sense of love. That's how much we love our children as imperfect humans. Imagine how much more God loves you. God loves us. Christ loves the church. It even goes even farther when you consider this. In Romans 5.8, the Bible says, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So not only did God make us his sons, God was willing to show that love and make us his children when we were at enmity with God, the Bible says. We were enemies of God, if you go back a few chapters in Ephesians. We were diametrically opposed to everything God were. But God loved us so much that he was willing to sacrifice his own son so that we could be his children. 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. God is love. He is the very definition of love. It's not just that... God does the action of loving. No, God is love. If we're going to embrace a mess in our relationships, we have to be gripped by the fact that God loves us. God loves us when we are completely unlovable. I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of moments when I am unlovable, especially when I'm hungry or tired. We, God loves us even when we are unlovable. God loves us even when we're at our worst. The worst version of you, the worst version of Nick Minerva, God is completely in love with. And when I am at my worst, God could not love me more. God loves us. If we're going to have the kind of marriages that we see pictured here in Ephesians, we have to be gripped. We have to understand that God loves us. Though we are incomplete, God loves us completely. Though we are imperfect, God loves us perfectly. He loves every one of us, even though we are flawed, rejected, awkward, sorrowful or broken. God loves you. Christ loves the church. If we're going to embrace a mess in our relationships, we must be gripped by Christ's love for us, the church. Christ Christ loved us, even though, get this, it cost him everything. It cost him his very life. He loved us so much. He was willing to lay down his life for us. So you say, okay, Nick, I get it. Christ loves us. How does that affect my relationships? How does the fact that God loves me affect my relationship? Well, because Christ loved us and because Christ sacrificed his life for us, his love and grace has now earned my acceptance. Ephesians 6.1, we saw that a few weeks ago. We are accepted. Christ's sacrifice has earned our acceptance. Christ's love and his sacrifice has, gives, has given us affirmation. For, or 2 Corinthians 1.21 talks about this. We are secure. We are affirmed. We are established in Christ. He loves me when I am unlovable and forgives me of all my sins, Colossians 2.13 teaches us. So when I am completely gripped by God's love, when I am so full of Christ's love for me, it then begins to overflow in my life. And when I realize that I am completely loved, I am completely forgiven, I am completely affirmed and accepted, in that moment I can now become a conduit of God's love. I can become a conduit of God's acceptance. I can become a conduit of God's affirmation to my spouse. I can become a conduit of his love to those around me. First, or John 15, 12 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another even as I have loved you. So we're talking about marriage this morning. When I am filled with God's love, I will have that kind of love for my spouse. But it goes beyond just marriage. As John tells us, because Christ loves us, that's how we are to love each other, that same kind of sacrificial love. Now, I've often thought that this passage um, in Ephesians 5 here was kind of teaching that the magic key to a good marriage was, Nick, you love Sarah, and Sarah will respect you, and as long as Sarah's respecting you and you're loving her, everything will be okay. The problem was, it was all me-centered. 
You see what I'm saying? Whenever, whenever Sarah wouldn't show me the respect I thought I deserved, I would then be like, well, you're not respecting me, so I'm not going to love you, or vice versa. She wouldn't feel loved, so then I'm not going to respect, or vice versa. And it just, it just goes back and forth, like, okay, if she loves, then I'll respect, but if she doesn't love, then I'm not going to respect. And it just goes back and forth. The problem is, it's still focused on ourselves and on me. It's not focused on God's love. It's not God's love flowing through me. Christ's love for the church is not dependent on the church submitting or respecting or responding to him. Christ, get this, Christ's love for the church. I mean, think about it. Think about, I mean, you, everyone in here, we all, know, we all know our hearts. We all know the, the deepest parts of our hearts that we would never want to see exposed in the light. God loves you in spite of that. God loves you even though we are, even though we are yet sinners, the Bible says. Christ loves us. His love for the church is not dependent on the church submitting to him. Now get this, neither should our love be dependent on how the other person treats us. As a husband, my love for my wife should not be dependent on how Sarah treats me. Now there's been a lot of times it, it, it has, and in that moment when that happens, what that needs to serve to me as is an indicator that, hey, God's love is not flowing through me. We become, when we become gripped by God's love and allow his sacrifice and all its implications to fill our hearts, we then can become conduits of those same implications to those around us. Which leads us to our next thought this morning. Because Christ loves the church, we can love each other. Because Christ loves the church, we love each other. We can embrace a mess and love each other because the love of Christ is flowing through us now. Literally, as we get so filled with the love of Christ in our hearts, when I'm so overwhelmed by the fact that I'm accepted, that I am his beloved, that I am his child, when I get so overwhelmed with that, it's just going to naturally overflow into every area of my life. And the person that's closest to me should get the most of it. That's our spouse, our wife, our husband. They should get the most of that as it overflows because they're the ones closest to us. A lot of times, it's the opposite. We get angry, and the person that's closest to us is the one that gets zinged the hardest. The truth is, it should be the exact opposite. When Christ, when I'm so gripped by his love, it's just going to overflow, and it's going to affect all of those around me. We can embrace the mess. We can deal with the messiness of relationships because that is exactly what Christ has done for me. That is exactly what Christ has done for you. He loved us even though we did not deserve it. He loved us even though we were diametrically opposed to him. And because of that, we can then pour out that same kind of love in our marriage. Uh, the society that Paul was writing to, um, they were really good at putting the pressure on the wife to do all the duties that she was supposed to do. But they didn't necessarily put, the society didn't necessarily put that same kind of pressure on the husband. And so what would happen was you have this relationship that became very one-sided. And when we say that, that naturally just does something in us that's kind of annoying, like, oh, that's not right. That's, that's not fair. And you're right, it's not. But the truth is, that's how a lot of us go into our relationships, isn't it? We go into our relationships for what I can get. I'll go into a relationship for how it makes me feel. I want to be a good husband so everyone around the church will know that, hey, Nick's a good husband. That just feeds my own ego. I'm in that relationship. I'm loving her so I can have a good feeling. We'll go into a relationship for what we could get or how it'll make us feel or how we're perceived. But the truth is, when Christ's love is flowing through us, none of that will matter. So often, though, we go into relationships for what we can get. I can remember in college, I was blessed to have a vehicle. And uh, Dan could probably agree with some of these stories. Um, I would go, and I had a car, and I was blessed, but I, I figured out how to use my car to kind of get free food. You see, a lot of times you'd go to school, and there would be, like, food that was food. Um, they called it mystery meat, you know, and it was, it was, you know, 
not what I wanted to eat. And so I would go and I'd tell a friend, hey, you want to go get something to eat? He'd be like, yeah, sure. And I, would, I, would, I had this phrase I would use all the time, you buy, I'll fly. And I got so much free food that way. I would go into the, hey, you buy, I'll fly. Really, I'm not trying to be a blessing. Really, I'm trying to get free food, right? So often, though, that's what we do in our marriage. You buy, I fly. You love, I'll respect. You apologize, I'll forgive you. You buy, I fly. That's how we go into our marriage. That's not the love of Christ. That's the love of self. When I'm going into my marriage and I'm pouring out love only for what I can get or how it makes me feel or how I'm perceived, really, the only person that I'm loving is Nick. That's why in this passage, Paul says, love your wives even as you love yourself, guys. Let's be honest. We're pretty good at looking out for number one. We're pretty good at making sure our needs are met. But when Christ's love is flowing through us, it's going to be this unconditional love. The, what I want is no longer an issue. How the relationship makes me feel is no longer an issue. How I'm perceived is no longer an issue. Why? Because it's the love of Christ just flowing through me. It's the love of Christ that's completely and totally unconditional. I can remember one time Sarah and I were having another conversation. You guys probably think that's all we do is argue. Um, <laughs> it's not, but good examples, right? Good illustrations. So one time we were having one of those conversations, and it, it was a good conversation, but I remember she said something, and she didn't mean it this way, but I took it totally the wrong way. And instantly what I did, what that made me do, is that just made me close up. I went into the Nick Castle, and I said, I'm done. I'm not having this conversation anymore. I am, I'm done. I just completely emotionally closed myself off, and I just, I shut her out, totally shut her out. You see, when that happens, that reveals that Nick is loving Nick. And when we go into a relationship, and when it does make us feel bad, or we don't like something that gets said, and we close ourselves off, that needs to be an indicator in our mind that, wait a minute, what is keeping the love of Christ from flowing through me in this moment? Because I know Christ loves my wife unconditionally. Christ sacrificed just as much for her as he did for me. Christ shed just as much blood for her as he did for me. And so if in that moment I'm being selfish and I'm blocking myself off or I'm not pouring out unconditional love, that says more about my own heart than even what she said. Now what she said may or may not have been right, but that does not mean that we can just shut off the love of Christ. When the Christ's love is working through us, we will pour out his unconditional loves. When Christ's love is working through us, what we want, what we feel, how we're perceived are no longer issues. The truth is, when Christ's love is flowing through me, as a husband, I'm going to want to sacrifice everything for my wife. When Christ's love is working through me, towards her, if she wants to come and talk for hours and hours and hours, when Christ's love is working through me, I will listen for hours and hours and hours, and I will enjoy it, because Christ's love is working through me. When Christ's love is working through me, we're going to want to have this unconditional love and pour out this unconditional respect towards each other. As we saw in verse 20, you know, or, um, excuse me, submitting yourselves one to another. When Christ's love is working through us, it's going to be this mutual thing, and it's going to be beautiful because it's not forced. It's not like you have to do it. It's, it's what you want to do. God will give you that desire in your heart because that's the love he poured into you. Now you get to be a conduit of it towards your spouse and to those you're in relationships with. The love of Christ moves us from giving and loving from what I can get to giving and loving even if I don't get. See, a lot of times we'll go into this and people's reaction is, okay, 
if I pour out unconditional love towards them, they're going to take advantage of me. And they might. They, they very well might. If I were to be honest with you, they killed Jesus for it. Just because you pour out unconditional love doesn't mean everything is going to be a bed of roses. But the truth is, when it's really Christ's love, when Christ's love is really working in you and through you, you're not going to love for what you can get in return. You're going to love even if you get nothing in return. Because that is the sacrificial love of Christ working in us and through us. Because Christ loved us, we can love each other. Again, if our motive of loving towards one another is only what we can get in return, we're only loving ourselves. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, 1 John 4 talks about, we looked at some of the verses, how much God extravagantly loves us. He then goes on, If God so loved us, we are also to love one another. When Christ's love is working in my heart, and when I am so overwhelmed by what he has done for me and the sacrifice and the unconditional acceptance that he's given me, the fact that I am his beloved, the fact that I'm a saint, everything we've learned so far in this series, when that really grips my heart, we will only want, that'll be the only response we can give, this unconditional love towards our spouse. Because Christ loved the church, we can love one another. Wives, they will submit themselves to their husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands will then love unconditionally to wives. It's not an exchange, you do this, I'll do this. It's, I'm going to unconditionally do this because this is what God has done for me. And when two people do that in a marriage, it then becomes this awesome and beautiful thing that brings God honor and glory. Husbands will be more willing to sacrifice for the wives. Why? Because the love of Christ is working through them. They can then be the spiritual leaders of their home. See, what happens a lot of times is, guys, we want to lead, but we don't want to invest. I know a lot of times Sarah, she'll come to me and she'll have an issue, and my first response is, well, here's five things to do to fix it, right? But the truth is, that's not what she wants. She needs, she needs love in that moment. She needs the love of Christ flowing through her husband. And so, but as we do, we can lead. As we do unconditionally love, then we have a foundation from which we can lead on. As Ephesians tells us, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water of his word. As husbands, we can be that spiritual leader in our home because we are unconditionally loving if we are not actively allowing the sacrificial love of Christ to flow through us, we have no right to speak into somebody else's life. And it applies for marriage. It also applies for your connection group or the, your friends here in the church. If you're not unconditionally pouring out the love of Christ to them, we don't have a foundation from which we can then invest into the life spiritually and lead that person spiritually. It's like a husband trying to fix a wife's problem without really listening. That never goes over well, right, guys? Is anybody, does that ever work? No, it just... It, it, it's bad. <laughs> I have a scar. I'll show you later. Just kidding. Um, the truth is, though, when we do pour out that unconditional love and that unconditional respect, we can. We can invest. We can spiritually lead. Conflict among friends and even in marriage will be solved in a manner that's consistent with Scripture and that honors God. It's not that it'll be avoided. We're not talking about sweeping things under the carpet. We need to deal with it, but we'll deal with it in a way that is the love of Christ. You can be honest with somebody, but still be compassionate and allow Christ's love to flow through you. Even, even if the situation, the resolution isn't what you wanted. Even if it doesn't get resolved in a way you thought it needed to be resolved, God's love can still flow through you. Forgiveness will be quickly given instead of withheld. A lot of times it's our temptation to say, I'll forgive them if. I'll forgive them if. I'm so glad that Christ didn't do us when it came to our salvation. Right? And Galatians 6 talks about this, just being quick to forgive, considering your own self. When Christ's love is working through us, our knee-jerk reaction is, yeah, of course you're forgiven. Christ has forgiven me so much. Of course I will forgive you. 
We'll be, able to, we'll be willing to take responsibility for our own weaknesses. We'll allow other people to speak into our life when the love of Christ is flowing through you. And I, and I know what you, what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, but Nick, my, my spouse or my friend or whoever, they legitimately sinned against me. They were legitimately in the wrong. And we're not necessarily even arguing that. But what I am saying is God wants to use that sin against you to grow you. Sometimes God will pour out his uncomfortable grace on our lives. And a lot of times it comes through sinful vessels. A lot of times it'll come through another person sinning against us. And yes, what they did was wrong. We're not saying ignore what they did, but we are saying you still need to love that person and unconditionally love and forgive them because that is what Christ has done for us. God wants to pour out his uncomfortable grace so that he can conform us into his image. A lot of times what we want is we want God to change the person. You know, we'll go to Romans 8, 28 and it says, all things work together for good, so this is going to have to change. But really what that's saying is God wants to work that for your good and his glory. God wants to use that hard situation. God wants to use that other person's sin to grow you. Because a lot of times when someone sins against us, our first reaction is to sin back. But God wants to use that to grow you. I want you to imagine in your mind your marriage with this kind of unconditional and radical love being poured out on each other. Two people, husband and wife, unconditionally loving, unconditionally sacrificing, unconditionally forgiving. Not because they're perfect or not because they can even do it in their own strength, but because that is Christ flowing through them. Imagine your connection group, unconditionally loving, unconditionally forgiving, unconditionally, unconditionally doing life together, because that is what Christ wants to do in us and through us. Imagine what that could do, imagine what that could do for the community. Jesus said, by this shall all men know you're my disciples, by your love one for another. Once that happens, then we have the power to really make a difference in our community because it's not us, it's Christ working through us. We can't embrace the mess until we have the right heart towards the mess. But we can embrace the mess because Christ has already embraced the mess for us. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.